It's officially DC festival season, and we're super excited about this one coming up on May 18th. Africa on the Avenue is a celebration of the vibrant African immigrant community along Georgia Avenue Northwest. There's going to be interactive art installations, fashion shows, music, food, and local business stands. This one-day festival, organized by District Bridges Lower Georgia Avenue Main Street Program, truly has something for everyone. So I'll see you there on May 18th. Go to districtbridges.org to learn more. Today on CityCast DC, like most things in the district, DC's criminal justice system is all tied up in the federal government. That means D.C. residents convicted of committing local crimes can end up all over the country. And there isn't all that much political willpower to fix that. Today, we're talking with a Washingtonian behind bars who's been campaigning for a D.C. prison and a local researcher who's been looking into why it's so hard to make that happen. Today is Wednesday, April 26th. I'm Bridget Todd, and here's what D.C.'s talking about. This call was from a federal prison. You will not be charged for this call. This call is from Robert Barton. This call will be recorded and subject to monitoring at any time. To accept this call, press 5. Hi, Robert. It's Priyanka. Can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing all right. I just know that Lead producer Priyanka Tilde called Rob Barton in prison to learn more about his experience with the D.C. criminal justice system. I am recording this call. Is that all right? Okay. Rob is currently incarcerated in Florida. My name is uh, Robert Barton. I'm calling from Coleman, uh, USP 1. Where did you grow up and how did you end up at this particular Florida institution? So I grew up in um, Southeast Washington, D.C. because I sort of murder charge as a juvenile. He said he was convicted of a murder charge when he was a juvenile and has been in the system for about 30 years because of it. D.C. don't have jurisdiction over the old prisons because they don't have their own jails. We are sent to jails all over the country. So I've been to uh, Pollock, Louisiana, um, Atwater, California, across the street is USB 2. I've been to Hollywood, uh, USP, that's in Pennsylvania. I've been to Murray, Illinois. I imagine that the moving around is complicated and frustrating in itself. But in addition to that, how is the experience of being in the Federal Bureau of Prisons different from if D.C. had its own prison? Well, I think like, especially right now, what they do in the Fed is basically just warehousing. So um, it's not much programming going on. We always locked down, so it's on top of us being far away from our family, not being able to get things of that nature. It's even harder because we can't call a whole lot of times. We have a certain lot of modern business that we can call to you. So you have to like try to like learn who you're going to call. And, and since he's in Florida and his family is in D.C., that's about the only contact they get for most of the year. That's one big difference from his time in D.C. jail. Another is the type of programming that was offered behind bars. They had Georgetown, like, come in and they was running college courses for us. They had all types of, like, self-help programs. They was doing mock jobs here. Um, because of the way that uh, BOP looks at things, there's everything security first. So they don't have many outside. And I believe that what that does is, up to jail, we keep our humanity. I think that uh, Fed takes a lot of that away. 
We'll hear more from Rob in a bit. But for a broader sense of how the D.C. criminal justice system got this way, I called up Amelia Kalma. She's the director of policy and research at the D.C. Policy Center. So, Amelia, how does the D.C. criminal justice system work right now? Like if someone was arrested for a felony, like a robbery, what is the process and what happens here in D.C. as opposed to what's happening elsewhere in the country? Well, D.C. is part of a federalized system. So when D.C. people are arrested and get processed through the criminal justice system, through trial and incarceration, they bounce between a variety of agencies that are a mix of federal, local, and like independent nonprofit. And that system is very different than what happens in the rest of the country. Here in D.C., we federalized our criminal justice system in 1997 with the Revitalization Act. And so it works very, very differently from any other state. So what happens when you put a state-level incarcerated person into a federal system? Like, what goes on? D.C. residents are less than 2% of the entire federal incarcerated population. And because of that, uh, they're just kind of mixed into the population at large. That's created a lot of different systems where, first of all, like D.C. people can be put in any of the Federal Bureau of Prisons 122 facilities across the United States. That includes California, Hawaii, Puerto Rico, Florida, Texas. Like people can be held really far away from home. And in fact, like the average person in DC is held over 800 miles away from DC. So uh, it really cuts ties with communities. It makes it a lot harder for people's families to come visit. It makes communication a lot harder, um, especially compared with what we used to have, which was Lorton Prison, which was about 20 miles away from D.C. It's a drivable distance. And the second thing that happens is um, Lorton was a medium security facility. And D.C. people, when they're put into this federal system, are disproportionately put into high security facilities. So, for example, 40 percent of D.C. people are in high security facilities in the Federal Bureau of Prisons, where only 12 percent of federal code offenders are in high security facilities. Um, on the other end of that, 0% of DC people are in low security facilities and 16% of federal people are in low security zero? facilities. Uh, a little bit greater than zero, but way less than one. It's, it's basically zero of our whole population. So people in DC are disproportionately in these high security facilities in Federal Bureau of Prison for a couple different reasons. <laughs> one of them is just that there's very different demographics between the D.C. population and the federal population. D.C. people tend to be younger. Half the sentences are for violent crimes like assault. And you're putting them into the federal scoring system, which is built for that federal population of people. 50% of federal offenders are in there for drug charges. And they use like sentence type and sentence length and age to determine what security levels to put people in. And so when you put that D.C. population into that federal population, then they disproportionately get sent to those really high security facilities that have not a lot of programming options. Because, for example, in a federal system, if you're in there for a life sentence, they're not expecting you to get out. So they're not providing a lot of programming for those people for reentry because they're not expecting it. Yeah, that's a really good example that really clarifies what you were talking about, the, the lack of, like, offerings. Mm -hmm. 
you've mentioned that it wasn't always like this. DC used to have Lorton Prison, which I've heard is condos now or like luxury apartments. It has been turned into luxury apartments now, yeah. So what happened with that? What happened with that prison? Well, what happened in the 90s is a confluence of things. Uh, First of all, there was a financial crisis. We are facing a recession, declining population. Uh, We had a higher Medicaid cost than we should have had given the levels of poverty that D.C. was experiencing. We had a $5 billion federal pension that we had inherited during home rule that we were paying about $300 million of every year. That was just an unfunded mandate that we got in 1973. And on top of that, we had crumbling infrastructure. There were a whole bunch of court buildings that were in disrepair that really were in need of big capital funds. And Lorton was unfortunately in really bad shape. Uh, It was really overcrowded and there were pretty decrepit living conditions. There's been a lot of horror stories from the 80s onward and it led to many like very large riots, but people weren't getting adequate medical care and the conditions that people were living in were pretty bad. So we needed a lot of money for capital repairs to rebuild these criminal justice buildings. And then finally, there was some federal interest in criminal justice laws. Um, At the time, Congress was giving grants to states to implement something called truth and sentencing laws, which mostly just means that there's no parole and that people are incarcerated for at least 85% of their sentence. And then their sentence can include up to 15% of supervised release. And there was also an interest in private prisons. So um, in the original Revitalization Act, half of the DC population that was going to be incarcerated was supposed to be sent to private prisons. Although that ended up being eliminated by the time people were actually transferred in 2001. So is there a push to build a new prison in DC? There is not a push to build a new prison in DC. Uh, I will say that we did map out how much it would cost if we were to go down that route, because I think that would come with DC statehood. And it is pretty prohibitively expensive. Uh, it'd probably be between 500 and 750 million to build, not including the cost of land, and about 200 million every year to operate. But running a criminal justice system is a state level expenditure. You know, this is something that's run at the state level in every other locality in the United States. And DC has a restricted revenue raising capacity. And so without like the full benefits of being a state, I don't think anyone is trying to take on reincarcerating our DC code offenders closer to home. Is it just a cost thing or are there other factors too? Like with all of these problems that you've described with the Federal Bureau of Prisons, it seems like there would be a campaign to build another prison in DC. Not that I am like a you know, prison advocate or anything, but is it just the cost or is something else going on too that makes folks say this is not the right thing to be advocating for in DC? I do think that part of it is a matter of willpower. Like in theory, you could take back all of our residents and build a facility closer to home, Um, but it is a very large undertaking. And I think that there are a lot of smaller steps within the criminal justice system that people could take. So, uh, for example, parole is one of those things where we currently have a federal parole system under the U.S. Parole Commission in which 90 percent of their work is D.C. And that's something that D.C. could take back 
relatively much more easily. And even that, we've had a very hard time getting that done. The U.S. Parole Commission sunsets every two years, and we haven't been able to build that system up yet. So I think getting our incarcerated folks back home is further out down the line than some of these smaller steps that we could take to take back local control. Mm, That makes sense. You know, you've kind of alluded to this a little bit, but like most things in D.C., this is an issue that really comes back to statehood. What do you think it says about D.C.'s ability to govern ourselves that we haven't really been able to take care of our own criminal justice system here in the city? I think it's it is troublesome. I mean, obviously, there's been a lot of press recently about Congress interfering with D.C. laws, with the criminal code reform. Mm. And I think that there are some other things down the pike. With a lot of these things, it's just it's politically really hard to get done. Everyone has a lot of opinions about how we should do it. And it's very hard to appease people. If we were to undertake this, it would be quite difficult. And that's not to say that we shouldn't do it. My personal opinion is that, you know, these are like actual humanitarian problems that need to be solved, and we should solve them. Amelia Kalma, thank you so much for covering this important story and sharing it with us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, and we're always happy to talk about this. Everybody knows that getting that perfect Mother's Day gift is basically impossible, but we promise mom will love this one. The Capitol Hill Restoration Society House and Garden Tour is back this Mother's Day weekend on May 11th and May 12th. Tour nine elaborate homes and gardens and three historic buildings on Capitol Hill that you can't normally enter. And if you can't make it, check out the Capitol Hill Restoration Society's other events like walking tours and monthly preservation cafes. You can buy tickets for the Mother's Day House and Garden Tour on Eventbrite. And be sure to follow CHRS on Facebook and Instagram at Capitol Hill Restoration DC. Rob, from the beginning of the episode, is also trying to get the word out about the problems with the federal local partnership as it is right now. He and another D.C. resident named Pam Bailey co-founded an organization called More Than Our Crimes. Priyanka asked him about that. A lot of times, a lot of things going on in the criminal justice space or uh, laws have been passed that directly impacts us. We are not asking about how this going to affect us. D.C. should, not only the citizens of D.C., but uh, our city council, it's like they, they give us the right to vote, but they don't want us to come back to D.C. So they don't even want to come back to jail right now. I also know that there are some D.C. residents that say they don't want a prison because they're against incarceration in general. What would you say to those people? I understand it. I appreciate the sentiment. But at the same time, right now, that's not uh, realistic. It helps us we come home. We'll be more ready to get a job, to be prepared to reintegrate to society. But how it impacts the community is that the majority of the people that's incarcerated will one day be free. They will, you know, like be your neighbor, things of that nature. So I think that citizens should care. I understand. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Okay, you're welcome. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. This is a meaty issue, we know. If you've got a different perspective to share, get in touch. Text us at 202-642-2654. Or you can also call and leave a voicemail. Again, that's 202-642-2654. 
And before you go, here's lead producer Priyanka Tilbe with some quick news. So DC's 911 call center is reviewing why its emergency response to a deadly car crash last week was super delayed. Three people are dead after the car they were in crashed into the water beneath the Frederick Douglass Memorial Bridge on Thursday. This isn't entirely new. The 911 dispatch team has been trying to clean up its act after several years of life-costing errors. Meanwhile, Metro's general manager, Randy Clark, is calling on the D.C. Council to be harder on fare evaders. Back in 2018, the council decriminalized fare evasion, and Clark would like that law to change. He believes that stopping fare gate jumpers would not only bring in revenue that Metro desperately needs, but also limit violence. And lastly, have you been to the upscale Vietnamese restaurant Moon Rabbit? It's at the wharf. The workers there are trying to unionize. It's an extremely rare thing in the fine dining world, but Moon Rabbit workers are hoping it will address the job security and high health insurance costs that plague the industry. They say they also want to address some restaurant-specific issues, like incorrect wage payments and an opaque tip-sharing policy. And of course, we've got your DC life hack. This one's from Amelia. She says if you're headed to Don Chicchio and Figley on a Saturday, get snacks from Union Market and take them with you. It'll supplement your liquor tastings. Their products will single-handedly make all your home bartending better. And who doesn't love a little snack and taste test? That's all for today here on CityCast DC. If you enjoyed the show, rate and review and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with even more news from around the city. Talk to you then.